Welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast, where we feature women who are nailing it in life. Hey, Legit Lady listeners. Welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast. This is your host with the most, Julie Fetterman, and welcome to the podcast where we feature impressive women to inspire the world. I hope you all are doing absolutely fabulously. I am really personally enjoying the delicious summertime sunshine that we have here on the East Coast, here in North America. The birds are literally chirping so loud that I have to close the window to even record this intro. And I have to say, the past few weeks have been really incredible. You have been doing a fabulous job of sharing the podcast to your networks. Thank you so, so much. And what's been really neat is actually seeing where some of these listeners are tuning in from. So if I take a little look over to our insights and statistics on the back end of our podcast here, I can actually see we have listeners joining us not only from North America, but you guys are fabulous too. There are listeners tuning in from Finland, Australia, Greece, Spain, France, and more. And that's really, really cool. What I want to do is encourage you, if you are listening from somewhere, especially outside of North America, feel free to shoot us a quick note with any feedback or whether this is something that's really resonating with you or maybe it's way off and you have some good notes for us or if there's anything you'd like to hear from us in our podcast. So feel free to send us a note at legitladypodcasts at gmail.com. And if you are enjoying the podcast, what would be super helpful to help support the podcast and help it grow and help other people find the podcast is if you wouldn't mind leaving us a quick five-star review on Stitcher, on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify, and wherever you're getting your podcast from. But what would be even more helpful is if you actually write a few words or a quick sentence on, say, iTunes or Stitcher and say how you feel about the podcast. And hopefully it's positive. If it's negative, maybe don't write it down. (laughs) But that would be wonderful. And that will really help boost our rankings to expand the podcast scope. And if you do happen to have a few dollars burning a hole in your pocket, because isn't that what we all have on a day to day, right? We've got extra money just lying around that we're dying to spend. But If you're hoping to find another way to support the podcast, a really great way to do that with money is to actually take us out for an online drink or coffee. This is an awesome way to just show your appreciation for the podcast is going to ko-fi.com. So that's ko-fi.com slash legitladypodcast. Again, ko-fi.com slash legitladypodcast. And this is a really simple, easy way for you to give me a quick high five, say a double thumbs up. Julie, you're doing a wonderful job with this podcast and it'll really help the podcast continue to grow. We actually do invest a ton of our own own money into hosting the podcast, into giving gifts to people who are on the podcast and all sorts of various and sundry things that add up. And it's a really great acknowledgement. And to those of you who've already done so big, big, big thank you to you. Now, for this week's guest, 
I'm so, so excited to share with you. This singer of songs is quite a delight. Not only is she a classically trained singer, but she's also a 2019 Juno Awards nominee for the classical album of the year. You'd think that she'd be very prim and proper, but I can assure you, she's certainly a rebel and a badass as well. All things together, she's one heck of an inspiration. I am so pleased to welcome the one and only Patricia O'Callaghan. I'm so happy to have you here today, Trish, Patricia, either or. (laughs) It's wonderful to have you. Are you excited? I'm really happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Yeah, I I was checking out a couple of your recordings online and I was really looking forward to having you here because I find that singers have the most wonderful radio voice or speaking voice too. Yeah. It's it's fun. I like talking on the radio. Good. It's it's a fun thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I always joke. I just want people to who sing to read me bedtime stories or things like that. Just melodic voices. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, glad to have you here. And as you know, we're going to spend the next little while getting to know you a bit more through 10 main questions, a few other thrown in for good measure. Great. So with that, let's dive in to question number one, which is what advice would you give to your teenage self? Yeah, right. Okay. Well, I think, I think I would say, trust your instincts and it's going to be okay. Those would be my two main things. Because, you know, when you're young, you don't really know. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. And it's a bit anxiety causing. And and I, I knew I wasn't going to follow a straightforward path. Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to be a singer. I knew I wanted to be in music, be a musician. But I didn't know how and what. And I would find I've I've looked back and and have found the odd journal entry where the younger me is saying, um, "Is it possible for me to uh, do classical music, but do it in a bar for my friends and <laughs> mix sort of sophisticated pop songs together with art songs?" And is there is there a, a market for this? Can I do this? And then, you know, I look back and 20 years later, that's what I've made of my career. I've done it and it's happened. It's like but a self-fulfilling it, prophecy. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's really, it's really nice to read that younger self thing and go, oh yeah, yeah, it was okay. It, it's okay <laughs> in the end. You did it and you trusted, you know, your instincts. You didn't follow a normal path. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you recall a time where you didn't follow your instinct? Like maybe you had that little alert inside of you telling you one thing and you went against that? I, I find that happens all the time. It's mm-hmm. a constant thing for me to trust them. You know, I feel like I have to be reminded almost daily to trust your intuition even with just tiny little things, um, even if it's if it's say I'm in the recording studio and I'm like mm, it's just not really working for me, but I'm not going to say anything. And then, you know, it really blows up, and I'm like, mm. 
well, I, yeah, I should have said something. I just should have said it, you yeah. know, things like that. It happens all the time or, or I'm working with someone and I'll be like, I don't think you should hire that person, but I'll trust you. And I'll say, you know, find your own way. And then that person will end up really not being good. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I should have just said something. So yeah, I do. I find it all the time. It's a constant effort to just trust my own instincts and intuitions and communicate them. It's not easy. I agree. And sometimes as women, we've been almost conditioned to quiet that so voice. So conditioned. It's a big deal. And in the music business, it's usually me and a bunch of guys in a room, honestly. Hmm. And uh, yeah. And I, you know, that whole thing about saying, okay, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to let you make this decision. I also find working with a lot of men as I have throughout my career, you know, they want to, they want to feel like they have made the decision and they have made the call. Mm. And almost as a woman, I'll be like, okay, I will let you think that you have made that decision and I, or I will let you come to that realization all by yourself mm. because that's the way the dynamic works, you know? Mm. And I'm like, no, I should just say I don't care if I'm going to threaten them because I'm a woman or whatever. I should just say, I don't think that's a good call. I think that's a bad call. Yeah. But it's it's really, I've been definitely conditioned to not do it that way, to be more diplomatic about it, to let them feel more in control. It's, right. it's something I've really been examining and seeing a lot lately. That's wow. You yeah. Know, the depth of that conditioning is, it's really there. It's true. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's the thought of what's the worst that could happen if I at least express my opinion so because at the end of the day, they might not take that opinion. They might still do whatever they were planning to do in the first place. Yeah. So definitely, yeah. I hope it's one of those things that you're actively trying totally, to work on. Which totally. Is and after important. a gig recently, I, I sent, there was something I was upset about. And mm -hmm. again, I actually pushed for it to go one way and the the person I was working with pushed it a different way. And uh, he, we went his way in the end and it was not the right way. And mm. so after the show was over, I was like, I just have to say, I think it was a great success, but this, I was very unhappy with it. And I was so scared to yeah. send that email and I justified it. And he immediately emailed back and said, I totally agree. Yep. It was the wrong call. Like, yep. So, you know, you got to express it. I can only imagine. I've had the pleasure of interviewing quite a few artists, and it seems like that's a very common narrative, that fear of being judged for exerting a specific opinion or for standing up for something that may have been a standard that's been in the industry for a while, but yeah. is something that's overdue to change. So thank you so much for sharing about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, curious, because you, you mentioned thinking back to your teenage years that you know, following your path is something that is very important to you. Uh, can you share a little bit about the moment where you were trying to decide how and when and where to be a singer? I was doing a little bit of research about you, and it seems like there was a pivotal moment where you're going to be either, quote, a rock star <laughs> or a nun, yeah, right. which seems like a pretty cool story. Would you mind sharing about that? No, no, no. No, I it, I have always been torn, I think, between wanting, I think I'm a naturally introverted person, but I also Me really have this, <laughs> I really have this um, inclination to perform. It, it's a, you know, it's a calling, I guess. 
and I do. I, I think I like to be the center of attention. You know, I was the youngest child, so I was always the the way I got the attention in the family was to clown around and <laughs> perform. I guess. Um, so there was this juxtaposing, two juxtaposing desires. I think one to be really reclusive and contemplative, and the other to be out there and performing. And and I, I was brought up Catholic, Irish Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so I just liked the idea of being removed from the world and having a spiritual path that I was dedicated to and just living that life of spiritual seclusion and austerity. Um, But then there was the part that wanted to be the rock star too. I love rock music. I love pop music. And and I sang in a heavy metal band when I was a young teenager. And and then I started studying classically when I was 16. And I thought, oh, okay. So actually, I love classical vocal music. And basically, if you want to be a classic, a serious classical musician, you have to dedicate so many hours to practicing. You have to protect your instrument. Therefore, you can't go out and party. You have to live a pretty reclusive life, frankly. Mm. So I'm like, okay, being an opera singer is the best of both worlds. I have a pretty dedicated, disciplined life, but I still get to sing and perform. And I think that's how I came to that conclusion. Oh, that's that's really cool. I, I've never thought about it in that way before, which is very interesting because when I read that, I said, wow, that's quite the dichotomy, yeah. you know, being being yeah. a nun or a rock star. And so I was trying to think because I understood that you're, you're Irish Catholic raised. I was wondering um, if you pursuing music was something that could have been hypothetically disappointing to people in your family oh, right. instead of, say, pursuing a more spiritual path oh, if they're more conservative. Interestingly, that was not at all the case. Um, my parents were very supportive of me. That's wonderful. Supporting, uh, yeah, of me pursuing a music career. And actually, I think if they had any idea how hard it was, they never would have. <laughs> <laughs> but truly, they were great. And and that was a large part of, oh. you know, me being able to succeed, feeling that support and them, you know, paying for my singing lessons, taking me to the nearby city to study every week. Wow. They were great. Yeah. Um, I do know a lot of singer friends who were, you know, Mennonite background. They were not, it was, it was considered too proud to be on the stage, Mm. even with opera. That was just unacceptable. And my grandmother was uh, a very fine singer and she was offered a tour during the second world war. And, and, uh, she was forbidden of course, because Mm. that's not, you know, that's not what a proper woman does. So I guess I always felt a kinship with her and felt like, okay, well, I'll do it then if she couldn't. <laughs> yeah, it's it's in your blood. You got to fulfill this in destiny for grandma. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Taking the matriarchal lineage, you know, yes. along its path. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Yeah. And so keep telling us a little bit about the journey because I'd love to understand that transition from rural Ontario mm-hmm. to now metropolitan big city right. rock yeah. star. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I as I... When I was a kid, I, I studied classical piano and we would move from town to town. And I would always ask if there were singing teachers. There never were. Mm. Finally, when I was 16, I found one in Timmins, which was close to my town, Iroquois Falls. Right. So I would travel the hour back and forth and study. And I really did fall in love with classical music 
which I really didn't think I would. I wanted mm-hmm. to train my voice just so I had options right. and flexibility and vocal range. And But then as I just discovered the repertoire and I wrote songs, I was going to be a pop singer. And then I was like, oh, listen to these songs by, you know, Mozart and Strauss. Why does the world need my little pop song when this exists? <laughs> so I stopped writing oh. and I, yeah, I, that's another thing I would tell my teenage self. Keep, keep writing, mm-hmm. keep writing your silly little pop songs. Like, Truly, they're not silly. They're not silly. Yeah. So that is, yeah, I wish I had done that. Mm. And then, but I really dedicated the next, you know, 10 or so years to to really, I came to the University of Toronto, studied uh, uh, a performance music at University of Toronto. Then I went to the BAMP Center of the Arts and I studied in Austria and Germany and, and. No big deal. No big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Only just studied in Austria. I was on this really, you know, classical path. Mm. And then I, I lived for a year in Germany thinking this is going to be it. I'm going to be an opera singer and live in Germany for the rest of my life because there are 52 opera houses in Germany and there are five in Canada. There were at the time. Wow. So, you know, my chances huh. of having a career were much larger. And I just realized, nope, I don't want to be an opera singer. I don't want to live in Germany. I want to live in my home country of Canada. I want to find a way of bridging classical music with pop music. I want to do it for my peers, you know, so this is when this sort of, I invented this world of cabaret slash sophisticated pop slash light classical concerts. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, that's that's a genre that <laughs> we know about already. That's so cool. Well, you're, it you're does exist now. It's a thing. It, but really? when, I, when I did it, it sure wasn't. Yeah. And now oh. it's a real thing. You'll see a lot of classical concerts in bars and a lot of genre mixing. You know, genres are way more fluid than they were back in the day when wow. I started. So, so it is. I was a bit of a trailblazer. It's true. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because I I read another article that you you mentioned that tastes and desires change in a musician, yeah. and you mentioned this idea of genre mixing. Uh-huh. So although you're classically trained and you've had a whirlwind journey doing everything from cabaret to Leonard Cohen to everything in between, what do you envision is ahead of you? Or what are you getting into right now? Well, it's an interesting time in my career, I would say. Um, You know, you get to a certain point and you're like, okay, this is great. I'm doing really good work with wonderful colleagues. It's satisfying. I, I love my community. Um, I, I enjoy performing. I used to have real struggles with stage fright. So, you know, I'm at a point where I can really enjoy being on stage. Not all the time. I still have big nerves, but way more than I used to. And, and so I'm like, okay, well, what, you know, what is next for me? And I, I, um, so I've started writing more, writing Mm. more music. And I I just got uh, a grant to write a song cycle with a really wonderful composer, and, um, y- you know, it's going to be probably the first time, one of the first times that I'm, you know, I'm going to be paid for writing, for creating rather than performing. I've been such a performer my whole career. So I'm really looking forward to taking the time to be creative because once a career starts, it's like you're gigging all the time, you're touring, you're doing all the administrative backup stuff that you need to do for all your career to keep it up. Mm -hmm. You're rehearsing, you're learning music, but it's all very much you're putting out. And to take the time to write and be creative feels like such a luxury to me that I, 
I just haven't allowed myself the time to do it in very much in, in the past years. So it is going to be great. Oh, that's <laughs> really cool. And in yeah. song cycle, does that mean you're just, you're collaborating to create songs? Help us understand more I'm about that. I'm going to be writing the words uh. and the composer David Braid will be writing the music. Wow. I mean, well, there will be some overlap. I'm sure I'll have some melodic ideas. He'll have some text ideas, but basically it'll be like that. And a song cycle, that's a true, that's a, I guess, an expression from the classical world of music. And it generally means a cycle of songs doesn't, it could be any number, but they have a theme. They have a, a textual poetic theme throughout them that they, or, oh. and a musical potentially a musical theme that runs throughout them. Huh. Yeah. It's like a... They take a journey, sort of. It's, yeah, it's like a play or a story of songs. It's a, yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. That's yeah. very cool. I've, I've learned something new today. Yeah, there you go. Song cycle. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And if you had to choose one particular genre that felt most authentic to you, is there one? Wow, that's a really hard question. And that's... Um, I would say it has depended on the time hmm. in my life and my career. And uh, I sort of, you know, when I ran away from classical music after I graduated university and I started getting back again into pop and rock and hmm. um, I, I really wanted to distance myself from that. And as I did, I think I had to do that. That had to be part of my journey. And then I had to go, oh, actually, no, I love classical music. It is a huge part of my foundation. It's it's very much a part of who I am. Aesthetically speaking, the, the you know, the um the choices I would make musically, they would be largely based on classical music at this point. Mm. And even though I'm not really part of a classical world anymore. I'm probably more a part of that world than any other world. I kind of live on a bridge. Right. It <laughs> seems like. Worlds. Yeah. No, it's great. I, I actually empathize with that idea. So I'm a lifelong dancer, oh, but wow. I grew up doing conservatory ballet yeah, until okay. I felt like that was limiting to me yes. because I didn't even realize there was a whole world of dance outside of that. But that classical training truly helped me with so many foundations to be more successful or more easily ramp into all of those different amazing totally. genres of dance. And totally. I also grew up playing the violin and oh. had this constant push and pull with my my private violin instructor. I remember this very, very vividly where she wanted me to go through a very specific Suzuki method of training through a classical repertoire, but I just wanted to rebel and learn sunshine of my love and Songs do fiddle and exactly. yeah, exactly. And and that didn't go over very well. So I uh, set that aside yeah, I <laughs> as totally a teenager. Relate. Yeah, it's, it's, I totally relate. And yes, the whole dance thing. Oh my gosh. But you're right. The classical training has helped me as a career musician, you know, cause if you're on tour, it's all good. Uh, <laughs> if you're on tour, you could so easily lose your voice and it's not uncommon for people to lose their voices. And my classical training just helps me function as a professional so, so much. Mm -hmm. It's a foundation that I am incredibly grateful for. But yes, as you were saying, like I spent all of these years going, no, I'm a classical musician now. And then I was like, oh, now I'm in another box. Like I, I did this training so I could expand my voice. Right. And now I've just put myself in another box. 
it's a classical box and it's a great box and it's got lots of options, but it's still a box. It is. And it was a kind of, it's a pretty big revelation to go, oh, okay. So yeah, find the finding of one's own voice or way of expressing oneself. It's, it's, yeah, it's a lifelong journey for sure. I can imagine. I can imagine that it's very easy to be placed into these specific categories too. So I love what you're doing to be able to find and stay true to your authentic voice. And also, even though you're so tenured in what you do, still explore what's next and something new and something that pushes you outside of your comfort zone. You got to keep doing that. Otherwise you'll just die. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, I'm going to jump to official question number okay. two, oh my. which is, I know we can keep chatting <laughs> for a long time here, <laughs> which is what's your proudest accomplishment? Okay. Well, I got to say, I, although I am very proud of many of my musical accomplishments and many of the things that I've done, weirdly, or maybe not weirdly, the things that I am most proud of achieving in my life are things that are not natural for me. Okay. So Singing is a pretty natural thing. I have a natural gift, even though I've studied hard. It's always been a pretty natural thing. And you're lucky. <laughs> I, well, I think I am, you know, yeah. and I didn't realize how lucky I am. It's true. But uh, something that is, for example, not natural to me is driving a car because I am quite terrified of this huge mechanical vehicle that can you know, do a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's a, a, a real, um, it's a power we have and we need to respect that. And so I would, I was really scared and I, I would start driving and I'd get my beginner's license and, and then I'd stop again. And then when I moved to the city, you don't really need a car here. So I just dropped it. And then, you know, it wasn't until I was in my thirties where I'm like, I have to do this. My parents are going to start aging soon. They live close, but like two hours North of Toronto. Um, I, I have a band. I have to rent a car when I tour. I can't depend on them to do all the driving. Like mm. I've got to be a grown up here. So, you know, I got my full license. I think I was 35 <laughs> and honestly, it was so scary and so hard. And I'm so proud of myself for having gotten it. And, you know, now it's not so scary to drive. Sometimes it still is. Depends where, where I'm you driving are and all of that. But I'd say that's probably one of the the things I'm most proud of in my life. No, that's am- amazing because it would be very easy to say, oh, you know, I was nominated for a Juno this year, which is absolutely incredible. I mean, you're so proud of. But the reason why I'm laughing is I, I just got my license no in the way. past year as well. Oh, congratulations. And thank you. You too. I know. I know. Cheers. 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 <laughs> It's daytime. We're only drinking water. Yeah, it's, it's all right. Water. I know. I know. This time around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's it's funny because I felt a very similar way. I was terrified. And so I was thinking back so many times through the whole process. Wow. I, I sure wish I just got this over with when I was 16. Sure. Totally. <laughs> so do I. But but maybe not. Like I think yeah. we're probably really good, mm-hmm. cautious, but yeah. really good drivers because we're grown. We were grown up when we got it. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, we got I it know, when we got it. I it's know. The way it is. It's a great accomplishment. But when I like hop in the car mm. or I pick someone up mm. and drive them somewhere, I'm like, I'm really glad I could do that. Yes. Like I could do that. Yeah. I could help that person out, and I could just hop in my car and do it. No, it's true. <laughs> yeah. As as great as transit can be, sometimes it oh. is not the best to rely on. No, so. it's a good skill to have. You gotta yeah. exactly. <laughs> All right. Question three. How do you balance work and life? Hmm. Okay. Well, yes, as a musician and as an artist, probably, or when you're in a, 
line of work that you, you know, it's also your passion and your calling, you can really just, you know, I'm kind of working all the time, but I do try, you know, I remember thinking, I don't want to, I don't want to marry a guy who's also a musician and we have this tiny little insular world (laughs) and, you know, and, you know, my husband lives in Australia and he's in IT and like, couldn't be further from that. Um, Wow. And, and, you know, all of his friends are, are doctors and accountants and, you know, just so far from my world. Um, So that's, one way just of opening it up for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also do, I really try and get out in nature a lot. And uh, we we go camping and backcountry canoeing and hiking both in Australia and Canada a lot. Do a lot of traveling and outdoorsy stuff. And I just, I really love that. I find it gives me balance. But I have to say, like, I'm kind of dreaming up ideas, musical ideas all the time. And actually going on a hike or a canoe is one of the best places to, to think up that kind of stuff. But it, it's, in, it's in a nice, open, spacious, non-pressure-filled environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's a good time. to. I think it's just natural to be creative in, in a situation like that. So yeah, I am kind of always working. But I, I, I'm a Libra, so I am obsessed with balance. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is really important to me even just to be home and puttering around the house. Like if I've finished a tour, I I love traveling and I love touring. And then it makes me love coming home and enjoying my house and my little neighborhood. And um, so, yeah, I I really do have to just fit it all in, in the right balance to, to stay happy. I can feel the gratitude that you have for those breaks that you do take, whether they're active breaks or whether they're in the background while you're still mulling mm, through things, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. even that change of scenery. That's really very cool. Yeah. It's um, important. So it, are you and your husband, you're still separate right now. So he lives full time in Australia. Yeah. You live here. Yeah. And I wow. mean, there have been times where he's lived here for years at a time. Uh, I've gone there months at a time. And, and, you know, those times when I go for three months, I come back and I'm like, I am fully recovered and ret- like I had a proper vacation. And it's not that I'm not working there. I actually, right. I'll usually do gigs and I will do projects that I don't have time to do here, like a grant application or, you know, some writing project that I just don't have the space for here because I'm too mm-hmm. busy. Um, so, but it's, again, it's that nice spacious time where you have the luxury of like, swimming in the ocean in the morning and then coming back and doing a little bit of work if you feel like it. And right. so, yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. We're just, we've been, we've been together for 18 years and it's just, we're used to it. It's the way it is. That is so impressive because when, <laughs> when most people talk about a long distance relationship, you're usually met with the rolling eyes or, oh, it won't last. But 18 yeah, years, yeah. that that is that is something that's working very well. Um, can you share any advice that you have for people who are either in a long term relationship or partnership or looking to consider one? In terms of the long distance thing? Yeah. I mean, I I think it's probably not for everybody, but mm-hmm. I actually think it might be for a lot more people than they think it is. Like when I speak to people about it and they're surprised or shocked by the fact that we live in different countries. Like me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's so cool. But then they will also go, oh, yeah, sometimes I'm like, 
I wish my partner would. I love them. I love being with them. But I'm wondering, like, maybe they want to go away on a little vacation. And so, like, I do think for me, I'm just a very, again, I'm an introverted person. Hmm. I take on a lot of the world's energy. So I need a whole bunch of time by myself. It's just that simple. Mm-hmm. So I really like that time. And my husband is not like he's way more gregarious and I think it was harder for him, but he's found a way to balance it as well. And I think he's very used to it now, too. We are obviously very used to it. Yeah. But there's also I mean, you really, really do have to keep relevance. You have to have projects and dreams that you're working towards together Um, to keep it solid. You have to communicate often and clearly Mm -hmm. to keep it solid. You you can't leave too many months at a time apart or you'll really start to feel like, why is this person in my life? They're not in my life. Right. So you have to really watch that. You know, it's, there are definitely some danger areas to go into. Um, Especially with a time difference like that too. It takes, that takes effort and planning to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. And in the early days, you know, I'd have to wake up at six so that we could talk and we'd talk. And, you know, this was before FaceTime. Right. So, But now it makes it so easy. Lots you of technology. You can just like put FaceTime on, make your breakfast, just chat or not even chat. Just be in each other's, you know, space. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Must be great, especially during the winter here to took it all on over oh, and <laughs> catch really, some sunshine. I, sunshine. Yeah. I look forward to that. <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, cool. Well, thanks for sharing about that. That's awesome. I I tried a a long distance relationship for a hot minute and it did not pan out very well. No, not not for me personally, but I've seen it be very successful. So that's really cool. It's totally a personality thing for sure. Everyone's so different. Yeah. And their needs are different. Exactly. And you also mentioned connecting with nature being really important to you. Are there any places anywhere in the world, whether local or not local, that have particularly spoken Mm, to you or you've particularly connected with? Absolutely. I mean, I'm from Northern Ontario, as you mentioned. I lived in a whole bunch of different Northern towns. My dad was a pulp and paper engineer, so we moved a lot. Ah. But I was born in the little town of Dryden, and uh, it's very beautiful up there. It's it's all, you know, there's more water than there is land, so many lakes. And when I go up there, I feel a real, and all of my cousins and aunts and uncles, I grew up visiting them all the time. So that's my family home, I feel. Mm. So when I go there, I feel a great, strong connection to the water, to the land. It's It's quite palpable. I feel at home, basically. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel that there's a difference in the color of the sky and the water. And I feel that. And other places, yes, I lived in Mexico as a teenager. And that changed my life. And I feel Mexico is truly a part of my heart and soul. It's, It's a magical place. And it opens my heart every time I go. And the other place that really affected me profoundly was Bali. I went, my parents were living in Indonesia after I, uh, after they retired. And I went to visit them and I ball the gamelan, uh, the music, the Balinese gamelan music. It's, it's like a percussion gong, mm. rhythmically driven music. I find it completely magical and they are, they're Hindu. So it's completely connected to their religion, to God. Nothing is separate. Performing is like a form of worship and, mm. and, uh, 
and the Lagong dancing there. Do you, I don't know if you, as a dancer, do you know any I, of the I've Balinese seen, dance? I've seen so some of it, but so I haven't amazing. been. I've been absolutely dying oh, to go. So I'm it's a special place. living vicariously through <laughs> what you're sharing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You should go there. You really should go there one day. Yeah, That sounds great. Yeah. And, and what were you doing in Mexico when you were there? You said as a yes, teenager. I was on exchange. Oh. So it was a rotary exchange nice. and you could go, and I lived with four different Mexican families. Wow. And then while I was gone, someone from a different country came and stayed at my parents' home. And, um, and you know, from Northern Ontario, it's so, I, I'd know, I'd never say, lived culture in a hot shock, place. No? I'd never lived <laughs> in a city. It was like, but I, my priorities were I wanted to live in a place that was hot. Yep. That was musical. And that was poor because I hadn't, um, I hadn't experienced that either. Huh. So that, you know, there was a level of poverty that I, in the world that I couldn't really understand. And, and it was an eye-opening and life-changing experience in so many ways. Yeah, it was really amazing. Do you recall any key learnings or one or two that were pretty profound from that experience for you? Oh, geez. I, I mean, sure, there were tons and mm -hmm. tons. Um, you know, I think... They say when you're learning another language, it does something to your brain, like it expands your brain in an incredible way. And it definitely does. And I've always, what I find, I'm fascinated by languages. I think that's mm. because I'm a musician. I find music just another language and I speak German and French. And, and so I find when, when you learn a word in another language that doesn't exist in your language, in yes. this case, it's English, um, you're like, okay, so since that word doesn't exist, that concept doesn't exist, there's a little chunk of reality that I don't see, that I am blind to because I don't know that word. Uh -huh. And so now that I know that word, there is another part of reality that I can see. Like, what a concept is that? I, I, it's really hard for me to describe. No, I know exactly you know what, what I mean? you're it's talking like, about. What? That, that kind, that that didn't exist. Now it exists. It's like a, a window was suddenly open and you're like, oh, there's yes. a part of reality I didn't know existed that does. Exactly. <laughs> no, I, I'm so I'm so happy you brought that up because that's an important concept that, especially in North America, we don't often think about. Um, there's one in particular that I really love. It's a Portuguese word. I'm going to butcher it, but I think it's saudade or something saudade, like that. Yeah. yeah, saudade. And it's like this, this particular kind of longing. longing yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's the same kind of idea where we don't have the appropriate English word that fully captures yeah. that essence. Yeah. we don't feel it or exactly. or we don't know how to process it when we do yes. feel it or yeah yes. you know it's interesting oh, words are helpful it's very very <laughs> true very cool all right question four can you tell us about a difficult moment in your life yeah okay um well there have been you know several but one i would say when when my now husband then boyfriend Callan is his name. We were, I don't know, maybe four years into our relationship. He was in Australia. I was in Canada at the time. We were really struggling and arguing and it was a whole bunch of stuff going on. And I felt, I, I think probably the most depressed I've ever felt in my life. I, I would say, you know, I, I was in a depression. I, I didn't really know words for it at the time, but I would wake up and like I could feel pain in my eyes. It hurt to just open my eyes. My whole body was aching, but it was an emotional ache. It was from mm -hmm. emotions. And just getting out of the house and 
walking down the street was a huge effort. Hmm. I felt this lethargy and I felt um, like a kind of, I just, I was very much in victim mode, poor me mode, uh, scarcity mode. Um, and I could feel myself cycling down and down. And I, I guess I, I got to a point and I went, okay, I, I've got to, actually nobody can turn this around except me. Like, it's not possible. I'm the only one who can do it by shifting my thought patterns. Um, and, and I was really not helping myself by, you know, encasing myself in this victim-y kind of feel that I was having. And so I just started, well, I started listing the things that I was grateful for and the things that I did have. And, and then I just, thought about doing something generous for somebody else, what I could give to somebody else. And I just kind of did the opposite of what I wanted to do. And I could, I could just feel that I wasn't going to, I had reached the bottom that I was not going to go further down. And I mean, I've, I've talked to some friends that I have who have clinical depression and who take meds for it. And I've described this and they're like, yes, I know that hole. And then if I, if I don't take something for it, I will just keep going down. I have mm. no way of stopping myself. So that was very interesting for me to experience because it's it hasn't really been something that I have been plagued by in my life very often. Um, and so that I spun myself back up from there um, through through just shifting my attitude and approach and really feeling gratitude. And it was it was pretty pretty profound. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll wow. always remember it. <laughs> was that attitude shift, was that inspired by anything or anyone or was it completely an internal realization? I can't remember. I mean, I think I was, I was probably praying at the time, meditating to try and help myself and asking for help, you know, and it probably was just a moment of a voice saying, okay, how about you need to do this? You need to do this. Try this. Mm -hmm. You know, the still, still small voice within saying, try this one. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll try it. It was, you know, an intuition, I suppose. I so imagine. yeah, it was me doing it in wow. there all by myself. <laughs> it's like the, all the, the cogs are turning inside. Yeah, How yeah. long a time was that difficult period for you? That's a good question. If you can remember. I mean, it was a kind of an up and down period, I'd say for a couple of years, mm. but that particular intense time was maybe a month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. No, that's, that's actually really, really eye opening. Cause I mean, myself, like I've been on my own prolonged in some cases journey of that up and down. Um, I know a lot of other people yeah. in my life who have been struggling with various versions of depression yeah. for quite some time. And, you know, at sometimes they feel like this is the way it is. This is my baseline and yeah. there's no way out. I'm yeah. just going to keep self-medicating yeah. just to cope get day to day as opposed totally. to understanding that there is a possibility of a brighter path forward of something new, a different way of living. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, sometimes it is scientific, there's an imbalance, but Absolutely. other times there's other things at yeah, play. Totally, mm -hmm. totally. And it, you know, it's your life situation at that time. And, yeah. you know, realizing that your life situation is not your life mm -hmm. and it being able to step. I've found meditating helps enormously from just being able to have some perspective on my life because mm -hmm. you can't solve a problem from the place where the problem's taking place. You sort of have to rise above it or 
separate yourself from it somehow. It's like a disassociation a bit, almost like to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. And it's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to get out of that when you're in the middle of it. It's really not. Did it help or hinder your craft? Um, Meaning singing during that time. That's a good question. I, I would say, you know, uh, the person that I am and the emotional person that I am, the fact that I feel everything incredibly intensely, of course, that's got to help my mm-hmm. craft and what I do. And I, you know, when I'm learning a new song or I hear a new song, and I'm like, I think I need to sing that song. And so I won't be able to get it through it without crying several times. Mm. And then I'll just work it into my body and start performing it. And then, um, and then it's, and then I try and actually detach myself from it a little bit because I know how I feel about it, but I don't want to be crying on stage. So mm. I just breathe through the emotion and just let the audience have their own experience of it mm. so that they can feel it. Because I find if, if you're a singer and you're emoting too much, then that's all about you. It's not about the people that you're giving your songs to, right? It mm-hmm. should be should be a giving or an exchange at least. Mm. So it's a fine line, I find, riding the emotion when you're performing. You want to feel it, but then you want to let it go. And, and yeah, it's about a flow. Yeah. That's very interesting to to think about if I'm reflecting on very impactful performances that I've been able to witness. Mm -hmm. You're right. The the singer, the performer, they don't necessarily have to be crying, but you can feel it in the energy of the performance that they are giving out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very fine line. Yeah. And I've always been fascinated by it. And, you know, what's the balance and how should I go about this? Right. And sometimes if I'm so emotional, I really have to I really have to start thinking about the technique or like yeah. like something that's not the words that I'm singing so that I don't break down. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's very special. Yeah, the reason why I was asking is I know artists sometimes it's a bit of a stereotype that tortured artist or that oh, emotional sure. artist. Right. Yes, it's true. But it's some, true. sometimes their art is that channel, that vessel to be able to package up some of those emotions and channel it in. Yeah. Sometimes it's their their island to escape to. There's a, an area of escapism with For one's sure. art. So yeah. I really appreciate that yeah. story and you being so open about that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I know that whole cliche of the tortured artist and um, and I do believe you can be a totally healthy person and be an, a successful <laughs> and valuable artist that makes That's good, good art. Good like you do not have to be insane or, you know, on drugs or alcohol. Yeah, you know, it was, it's true. That was, a. um, yeah. So I think you can develop healthy habits and be a good artist. That's my belief. <laughs> good to know. Great to know. <laughs> Especially for all the young artists who are listening. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) Very cool. All right. Question five. On a lighter note, who or what inspires you the most? Okay, that's hard. (laughs) And, you know, my the people that I have looked up to, the artists, um, often they've been dancers, actually. Choreographers, Mm. Pina Bausch, uh, Martha Graham, uh, um, Meredith Monk. Um, mm. the, and so if I, if I, Laurie Anderson is a great, interesting musician that does 
you know, unusual things with her voice. Mary Margaret O'Hara, great Canadian singer. Um, so they've, I would definitely say women mm. and women who are doing something outside of the norm. I, I, I could name other names, but probably most people would never have heard of these people. Not that that's a bad thing, but, mm. but, um, you know, they're kind of out there in the art that they produce, but they're an image maker for me, especially when I was a young artist to go, oh, I can do that. I can stand up on stage with a viola and sing and dance all at the same time, really weird music or, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Um, so that they've, they've blazed their own trail and, uh, and there are not that many female image makers in, uh, there just are way, way, way more men. So it's been great to have some to go, yeah, oh, she did that. I can do that too. And, and then in terms of other inspiration, I, I, as I said, nature is super important to me to get out and climb a mountain or have a paddle in a canoe, sit under a tree, anything like that. Yeah. Sound like a great Canadian. <laughs> I do, don't I? <laughs> Just to Such paddle a in a canoe and I'm going to come up with my best music. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of inspiration and literal nature, I was thinking about this when you were talking about having being blessed with a, a gift of singing. And I was curious, in your opinion, whether singers in general, whether it's nature or nurture. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know question. some people that they, they have a, a gift that they can refine versus others like myself back when I was doing musical theater back in the day. It was a very difficult uphill crawl oh, to I build see. singability. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. not my natural gift. <laughs> I see. Okay. You were the dancer. I was that, the dancer okay, yeah, that gotcha. kind of had to sing passively. Get some singing in, yeah. your, in your... Yeah, okay. Wheelhouse. Jury's still out on that one. But I was, was curious on your perspective on that. Well, I do believe believe that anyone can sing and anyone can sing in tune. Uh, uh, you know, you talk, you hear about tone deaf people and it's a thing like <laughs> they, they can't duplicate a pitch, uh, first when you first work with them and, but they can learn to duplicate pitch. Um, and I think it's, it's way more about listening than it is about singing. Singing mm. is all about listening. You have to hear it all in your head before it can come out of your mouth. So I think a lot of people don't understand that. Hmm. Um, and so that's a kind of a key thing. Uh, but yes, I do think some people have just, they were, when I, when I used to go to the, um, the Timmins Festival with my mom, I was a piano student at the time and I would compete. And I knew that my ability as a pianist was good. It was fine. Um, but I wasn't great. I knew that about myself. I knew I was musical. But I would, I would listen to all the people and I, I had this expression and I'd say, he's born with it. He's not. She's born with it. And I, I didn't know that that wasn't a thing <laughs> to be born with it. And I guess that means that's like an innate sort of talent that, that you came into this world with perhaps. And, uh, you know, who can say how, if you believe in reincarnation, you were an amazing musician in a previous lifetime, and then you suddenly have all these skills that nobody can explain. Um, but I also believe that, like, if you don't do a serious amount of training, it's going to be very hard for you to survive in a career. You need, mm. you need, um, I mean, I guess you'll learn it once you get there. 
you need to learn how to pace yourself. You need to learn a really healthy technique so you don't destroy your instrument, whatever your instrument might be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that you need that kind of discipline. You really, really do for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's helpful to know. And I, I feel similar As a dancer, way. I mean, it, you know that. Exactly. Right? And I, I feel and a the violinist. Same way. Oh my yeah, gosh. I know. That's I know. a hard instrument. Oh girl. <laughs> oh yeah. Forget it. But it, I feel the same way when people say, Oh, there's no way I can dance. There's it's impossible. Oh, come I'm on. like, if you literally can move any part of your body, you can therefore dance. <gasps> Especially if, if you can walk, if you are an able-bodied person, then absolutely you can very certainly yeah. dance. And even if you're not dance is a very broad term exactly yeah totally yeah um and you've mentioned a few times about your body being your instrument and how you've trained extensively to care for your instrument now life happens and i'm sure you've been in this position a time or two i'm curious when your body has perhaps rebelled against you and you still have a gig to show up for and happens do, all the time. right? What do you do? Yeah, that's do where tips or? that is where your training kicks in and is super essential. Uh, because I have such a strong technique, I can actually kind of sing through laryngitis. Really? I know it's kind of crazy. Like I will lose pockets of my range, so I will have to adjust my repertoire if I have like full-on laryngitis, I'll have to adjust the repertoire, adjust the range potentially, cut out a couple songs that are just way too rangy perhaps, Uh but I can still sing and I do. I've done full concerts, many full concerts with, you know, technical laryngitis and it sucks because you feel like crap out there. You feel like you're not giving them your best. Um, but you sometimes just plain have to do it. And so yeah. you do it and you find a way to do it. And sometimes people don't even know. It's amazing. But, you know, I will say once I sort of gave up the high operatic career that I wanted, I thought I wanted, and started mostly working with a microphone, it was like a huge pressure was taken off because you really, <laughs> as an opera singer, you really, really do have to care so carefully for your instrument. And you do become quite neurotic about it. Like you don't mm. talk and, you know, I can go out to a bar with my band after a gig and have a beer and I'll be fine the next day. Cause I've got a microphone. And if I have a little rasp in my voice, that'll add to it, you know? Yeah. So they must've thought you were a diva. They're like, Oh, she's, she's not talking in the, in the bar. She's not even going to the bar because and, she's, and I still do yeah. have to make that call sometimes mm-hmm. if you've got a lot on and you're just like, I, you know, I really can't do it. Any singer would understand that. doesn't matter what genre, mm-hmm. um, you know, your voice it's inside your body. You can't, um, yeah, you can't screw around with that too much. <laughs> any any other tips or remedies that have oh, been helpful? You know, I don't do a lot. I mean, I basically, I will do, if my voice is feeling crappy, I'll do ginger tea with honey and lemon. Mm. Pretty traditional stuff. Uh, just keeping, keeping hydrated. Resting my voice is the biggest thing, not mm-hmm. talking. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't actually, because I don't want to get all neurotic about it and have these things that, but I do I use a throat spray um that I'll spray on my voice what's in that spray on my throat I should say <laughs> there's different kinds they're all natural you know mm. there's one that's a slippery elm bark and different things they coat your throat oh. and help minimize I guess laryngitis so I'll, I'll definitely I'll bring it on I will use it and I'll try it but they're all, all natural I don't I don't use you know like 
cortisone spray to shrink my um, vocal cords if I'm having any swelling or something like that. I've never used anything like that. Is that a common thing that's done for singers? Yeah. Like if you have full on laryngitis, you will go and see an ENT and like, I don't even have, I don't have a throat specialist that I go to. I don't do any of that. I just wing it. Yeah. You just (laughs) go with the flow. Um, And do you have any pre-show rituals or anything that you need to have with you before a show or anything that you do? I do really like to have time. I hate being rushed before a show. So I like to have a good two hours between sound check ending and show beginning. So I can have a nice Mm. leisurely supper, take an hour to do hair and makeup, put on my gown, whatever it is, chat with my band, chill out a bit. So time is really the biggest one for me because I hate, uh, I hate feeling, oh my God, I got to do that. And then it, it, it sort of like, it puts you in a space of not being grounded. Right. And I don't like being in that space before I have to be deeply grounded before I perform. Yeah, exactly. Because you, you mentioned before there are times where you have felt felt some nerves, oh, yeah. a little bit of stage fright. All the time. I almost always do. Yeah. How do you get through that? Um, Various ways. And it depends on the show. Sometimes it's minor. Sometimes it's major. Uh, and I again, that's where the training kicks in. Mm-hmm. That You know, that's why you're a professional. You sound like you know, you're singing beautifully while inside you're shaking and freaking out. Yeah, you're freaking out. And it's like grace under pressure. That's what you need to learn what to do to how to be a performer. It's grace under pressure. Um, and I have, it's a mental, it's a mental game. It really, really is. It's, and so I try and calm myself. I have sayings that I say to myself. Um, you know, I'll say, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad you're here. I know that I know. I care about you. These are things that'll just help me put me in the space and to realize, no, I actually do want to be here. I really do want to be performing for these people. That helps me a lot. And there's this other new Brene Brown one. Do you know Brene Brown? She's a, I, I think she's there's a, a, she just has a, got a Netflix she just special got an, out. Yeah. And what is it? It's, um, don't shrink yourself. Don't puff yourself up. Just hold your sacred ground or something like that. And it's just really helpful to just go, oh, it's me. I don't have to be, don't have to be smaller than I am. I don't have to be bigger than I am. I'm just going to be me here. And people respond to that. They, they respond. And I think my nerves, like people can sense a certain vulnerability in me on stage. And that can be scary if it's, you know, you have to put them at ease. You have to go, no, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm scared, but I actually know what I'm doing. I can yeah. actually really sing. So <laughs> let me put you at ease and sing you a song. <laughs> so I, I usually start. I, got this. I usually start with a song that's like solid. It's sort of extroverted. I, I, it's really in my voice, so that people go, oh, okay, I can relax. She knows what she's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I can start to be a little more vulnerable and and because if you're vulnerable, then they can genuinely be moved. They won't just be wowed or thrilled or you know like, you know, you want to be moved. Exactly. Touched by a performance. Yeah, exactly. And it seems like from what you've been sharing, you're a very empathetic soul. Yeah, I have to. Yeah. So that that journey that you take the audience on that sharing that give and take is definitely that fine balance that you were sharing before. Definitely a fine balance. And it's taken me a long time to be able to negotiate it. You know, Mm -hmm. at first, the nerves really did get in the way. And 
then I could let the audience in more. And yeah, it's been a journey. Well, speaking yeah. of journeys, question six is what is the most adventurous thing you have ever done? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a hard one. <laughs> that's a hard one. I mean, I'm actually a fairly adventurous person. Not Most, most people would not know that about me. And I, I do feel like some of the more adventurous things that I've done, that they're there for like, I would share those with a couple of very close friends who've really earned my trust sure. over a few drinks some evening. But, but you know, I have I've done everything <laughs> from you know, I've I've flown across the world for a love. Um that I didn't know what you know what was gonna happen. I've I've definitely free climbed and cycled through the Rockies and, you know, done, done wow. physically challenged and, you know, moving to Germany when I didn't speak a word of the language and knew only one person and just went, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to live here. That was a big, you know, that when, when I look back on it, I'm like, wow, that was, that was a pretty nervy thing to do. Yeah. That was a big adventure. How long were you there for? I lived there for a year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was cool. It was, an, a, you know, it was a hard year for me, um, but it was one of the most self-growing years probably. Mm -hmm. And mostly it was learning about what I didn't want to do. But you have to do something in order to learn that, right? You, you have to take that chance. And I go, oh, no, I actually want to live in Canada. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And how did you pick up German? Did you take classes no, or was it just no, socially? I just went, I find with me and languages, I have to just go to a place and mm. immerse myself in it. It's the only way I'll do it. So I did, I, I would just take the books and I would learn the basic verbs like the I am, you are, right. you know, ha, I have, you have. And I would just get those down and then learn basic phrases and then just go out into the world. And a lot of the ways that you learn a language is by you know, making assumptions about what people are saying. That person is probably saying that. So that must mean that. Mm. Okay. I'll respond in this way. And, oh yeah, you know what I did do? I found a job teaching English to business German people. So, ah. so they were all adults wanting to learn business English and they were beginners. So they knew not a word of English, Wow, which is unusual in Germany. So many people speak right. English. And so I had to translate constantly. So I, my whole day job was translating German to English, German to English. Mm -hmm. So I, I got those, you know, that really, really, really helped doing that on a daily basis. Yeah. And then I had a boyfriend and I said, we can't ever talk English together. So those <laughs> two things together really, really helped. Yeah, they helped me learn German well. Oh, I can <laughs> imagine. All I've got is, ich mochte bitte mitgessen. Ich möchte bitte Mittagessen. Mittagessen. Oh, mit lunch. Yes. Mittagessen. Yes, okay. that's all I got. That's all I got. Most of the, the languages I learn, I, I just try to affiliate myself with food-oriented oh, phrases yeah. and things important. like that. It, it is. Survival, it is. man. You got to eat. <laughs> all righty. So that takes us to question seven, which is, what do you attribute your success to? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, as we were talking about, you know, natural talent, of course you have to have that. That's sort of a baseline. Um, and you have to work really, really, really hard to nurture and hone that talent to the, you know, the best of your ability. But those are kind of, those are just a basic thing that you need mm -hmm. for the career. And then I would say, really, for me, 
perseverance and patience. Hmm. Um, you just got to keep sticking it out. And, and y- you know, you, you're going to, in this career, it's a very, very competitive career. And if you can't, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be, you're not going to have the success that you, you know, think you deserve or that you want. And you just have to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. You just have to. And and then not get upset if it just keeps not happening and then just be patient and keep doing it again. And like, really, it's that's, that's the way it is. It's just the reality of it. Wow. And so, yeah, just keep sticking it out. For me, I would say those are huge. And they're, they weren't my natural inclination. Um, so, yeah, I've had to learn them. I've had to learn those skills. I was going to say, like, how do you keep your head high when you keep being rejected? I personally have a hard, hard time with rejecting. So, so I don't even, I don't really audition for things. I, oh, I, you, as a dancer, you must've had to do some of that. Hey, <laughs> I hate auditions. <sighs> I hate them. But then as I, you know, as I got older and more experienced, it's not such a bad, you know, generally if people have you in for an audition, they're already kind of interested in you at, at this point in your career. You're not just a, no one they've ever heard of. So it's actually a really good experience to do it. And so sometimes I, you know, I would go and audition for a big musical or something just to go, I'm going to do this. I know I'm not going to get the job, but I'm going to hold my head high. I'm going to go in and be strong and interact and be friendly, do my thing, leave, feel fine. And it's actually a really good thing to do. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just one of those things that makes you stronger if it doesn't kill you. <laughs> exactly. It's like practicing. It's almost like, yeah, um, yeah. you know, for, for non-artist people, like going for job interviews, almost right. for the sake of practice, Totally, being totally. able to flex those muscles yeah. and just put themselves out there in a vulnerable, uncomfortable position yeah. on purpose yeah. to get used to that. You, and then you learn what people are looking for and you're more able to communicate, you know, what you're doing and what you could offer. And yeah, it's, Mm. it's a skill for sure. Yeah. I can imagine. And especially with auditions, sometimes you could be absolutely phenomenal, but you just don't fit. You have the wrong color of eyes. You're an inch too tall. Yeah. So you can't take it personally, Mm -hmm. but you do. Of course you take it personally. Because you're like, it's personal. (laughs) It's it's my eyes. Come on. (laughs) Can't change these. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been hard for me over the years for sure. And because what I do is so personal. The music that I put out there is, I'm deeply attached to it. Um, so if it's rejected, I take it as a personal thing. And it has been a good exercise to to go, that's that's a, actually a product that I'm giving to the world. That is not who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, there there is some value in separating it somewhat like that. Yeah. Right. Do you have a particular gig or project that's been most memorable for you? Ooh. No, there have been some real highlights for me in my career. Um, I did this opera called Constantinople in uh, Covent Garden, in London Royal Royal Opera House. Wow. And that was really fun to be in London for a week and do this opera that was sold out every night. Um, I did this piece by a Canadian composer called Claude Vivier, who's not very well known, but he died at a very young age, at the age of 35. He was mostly known in Quebec and France. And his opera called Copernicus was one of the big musical highlights of my career. Mm. Um, 
you know, being nominated for a, a Juno, again, as I was just saying, patience and persistence. Right. I've been in this for almost 20 years. Yes. So my first Juno after I've released a lot of recordings in my time. So that's yeah, that's definitely a big, uh, I guess, you know, marker for me in my career. And it's it's exciting. It's really exciting to be acknowledged. And, yes. You know. Well, you have you have at least eleven albums right now that you've at least participated on oh, or yeah, okay. solo. At yeah, least according to your you Wikipedia go. page, that's really? where I'm going off of. But that's still a lot. It's a lot. You yeah. know, a lot of people. We've gotten very used to the idea of that overnight sensation, or oh. if I just get enough followers and get an, uh, enough popularity, then I can win these awards right away. Right? Every that's, overnight sensation is yeah. ten years in the making. That's right. what my record label first told me when I first. And it, it's true. It's really true. I love you that couldn't, quote. At least you, you couldn't maintain it if you didn't have a deep amount of experience behind you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, and have you ever been starstruck since you've interacted with a ton of brilliant artists? I get starstruck all the time, weirdly. Like, um, if I go, I go to a lot of dance and theater um, and live music, but if I've just seen my friend, if I've just seen them act in a brilliant play and do an amazing job... I can barely talk to them after Aww. the show. It's so stupid. <laughs> no, that's but it's sweet. true. Yeah. Aww. I'm like, oh, I'm too shy. I have to go. I'm going home. I'm not going to say anything. Oh, I know. It's crazy. That's very sweet. <laughs> it's it's so nice when fellow artists can appreciate your art well, yeah. in a in a very yeah. substantial way. And it's yeah. not viewed as, say, being competitive or anything else. Like it's it's yeah. really nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, for sure. takes like a degree of humbleness to do that. So it's yeah. so lovely. Okie dokie. So question eight is what item or items could you never live without? Yeah, okay. Um, well, one thing that I notice I always want on my person or not on my actual person, but with me in my bag <laughs> is a book, like a journal or a writing book, just huh. blank paper and pen basically because I started writing a journal regularly in my early 20s and basically have done so every day since then and so I've got stacks of journals that I'm wow. starting to actually read through again and taking the very best of because most of it is honestly crap like it's just <laughs> it's just like getting stuff out of my brain onto the page and then maybe 2% is like, oh, that's a real gem there. I'm going to take that and put that somewhere else. <laughs> but I do find if I, you know, if I'm trying to pare down my purse and I haven't brought it with me and I'm like, what if I have an idea? What if I have a moment to myself and I want to write? I, I feel really naked without my journal. Yeah. That that would make sense. And I, I hear from people who do love to journal that that pen to paper experience is very different than a lot of people who do tend to take notes digitally. Well, it's it's how I started, I guess, mm -hmm. and I'm very attached to the actual pen and paper. The movement of the pen across the blank page, it's there's something physically soothing about it. You know, right. it's forming the words. Not that my words are very neatly formed sometimes, but <laughs> that action is is really lovely. But yeah, so for me, I'm not going to. And I, I, I find too much computer time hurts my head and my eyes. So. I wouldn't actually want to spend that much time in front of the computer doing the same thing that I do with my journal. Right. <laughs> it wouldn't be pleasant for me. Right. Yeah. It's almost like comforting nostalgia. And the types of things that you do tend to journal about, is it mainly observational or is it like anything that comes to your head? 
You yeah, just it, so there can be just brain drain. It's like, this is what's happening this morning. This mm -hmm. is what I'm having for breakfast, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, and then things that I see on the street, things that I hear on the street, uh, musical ideas. Sometimes if I'm really in the flow, I'll just start free form mm -hmm. and I don't even know what I'm writing, but you know, right. you're in the zone. So something cool is happening and sometimes a story will emerge. Um, yeah, it really depends. And I do find as I've been reading back on my journals, I... I appreciate the description that I give from, you know, if I'm reading it years later, I'm like, oh, I'm really glad I described that. I, I described the birds singing and the weather and the heat and because that stuff is really nice in contact. So I, I started doing that a little more, trying to describe my situation. Because, you know, you think you're like, yeah, this is just an average day, but it's not. It's really cool that you're here and you're doing this and you're doing that. So it's important to record it or else you might forget it. Exactly. What seems like an average day to you right now, 10 years ago, might be something that's totally foreign to you. Yeah. Or 10 years hence. Yeah. Exactly. 10 years ahead. Yeah. Oh, so cool. I, I, I've never journaled before. Oh, really? But I've actually had a couple of guests who do that as a practice. Oh, so it's, yeah, it's, great. it's really great inspiring. Yeah. Maybe it's something I should pick up. <laughs> I got the idea from a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Mm. Um, and again, it's a book all about being a healthy artist and forming healthy habits ah. and breaking the stereotype of, you know, the crazy, the drunk, the this, the that artist, right. the unstable artist. Yeah. Oh. And it's a, it's a good practice. It really is. That is very interesting and sounds like a very healthy thing to do. Yeah. Okie doke. Question nine. Is there anything you'd like to promote? Oh, well, um, so I just was nominated for this Juno and yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Um, and so I'll just tell you a bit about what it is, the yeah. piece itself. It's so the composer, his name is David Braid. He's the one I'm going to be writing the song cycle with that I just got this grant for. So, so we're going to continue our, you know, our musical association, which is really exciting. And so he comes from a jazz background, uh, full, he's a jazz pianist and now composer. And he, he came into, I was recording an album, I think in 2004. And my producer was like, there's this new hot jazz pianist. I think you should have him into the studio on your new CD. His name's David Braid. And, you know, he was 20 something and just out of U of T, but already teaching there. And like, wow. was clearly. And, Prodigy. <laughs> yeah. Well, but he wasn't a project. He was a really late starter. Oh, and really? he just worked really, really, really hard once he got to U of T. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got a lot to tell people actually that, yeah break some stereotypes. Anyway, we just, we had a moment together in the studio and cause normally you don't even get to talk. You're just working. Right. And I didn't know this guy, but he, he started chatting and, and it turned out both of our favorite composers was Mozart and we felt a real connection. And, and then, you know, we would sort of cross paths occasionally throughout the years, but basically, uh, 14 years went by. And then he emailed me and said, will you be the soloist on my new project. I have a really good feeling about this piece. Mm. And so it is, so he's the jazz guy, but he loves classical music. Mm. And I was the classical singer, but I loved sort of other genres of music. So we're both these people on bridgey, you know, situations. And he said, I think your voice will really be able to capture the different colors that I want. I don't want a traditional classical singer. 
And so I said, of course. And I went to Prague and we recorded it. And wow. yeah, it was exciting. And, and I went in for like four recording sessions until he's super easy to get along with, but he's also incredibly uh, perfectionistic. So uh. <laughs> it's an interesting combo, but yeah. Um, so it's a great piece and it is sort of a jazz hybrid of, well, it's an oratorio. So that means there's a choir, there's a chamber orchestra and there's a soloist and it's called, yeah, it's called Corona Divine Misericordiae. So not a super, you know, catchy name that you're going to remember. It doesn't roll off the tongue. It doesn't but... roll off the tongue. So David Braid, Corona Divine Misericordiae. But if you put on David Braid, Corona, I think... That's, you know, you would. And and yeah, it's a really neat piece of music, really polystylistic, tons of fusions of different class, classical jazz folk world. It's it's really neat. Very cool. Yeah. And where can we find you online? Uh, so my website is www.patricia-ocallahan.com. The hyphen had to be added because my, my website was hacked or it was bought oh. by some people who wanted me to pay tons of money for it. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. When my my domain expired one year and I'm like, I'm not paying thousands of dollars. I'm just going to change my domain name. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Patricia hyphen O'Callaghan, no apostrophe in the O'Callaghan.com. Fabulous. Yeah. Very cool. I, uh, I have a couple of last questions sure. before we wrap things up officially. And uh, as I was thinking about your classical training and your involvement in Germany, and even when you express the differences in opera houses, that there's 52 in Germany as opposed to single digits here, mm -hmm. um, I was curious why you thought that opera, at least in North America, seems to be a lot less accessible. Mm -hmm, sure. And generally speaking, it's thought of something to be enjoyed by purely a higher class or an mm -hmm, upper class. Elite, yeah. Exactly, as opposed to sure, it being yeah. a little bit more widespread. I think, I really just think it's that we are a young country. I mean, mm. all of North America, we're a young continent. Mm. And, uh, you know, Europe is a lot, a lot older. And culture was a really important part of everyone's, it was a fixture, it was it was a priority. It was one of the main, you know, art, music, mathematics, you know, those were on a par with each other and mm -hmm. they are not here. And our priorities are different and I think a lot of it has to do with education. It's not a priority in a lot of education systems. Hmm. Therefore, you don't know what you don't, you don't know. If you don't know about it, you can't like it. Hmm. And and so people have this idea that it's elitist, but it's just because they don't know. Because I'm just a gal from Northern Ontario. I didn't have spe any special musical upbringing mm -hmm. or exposure. And and you know, there's just I and it's so it is kind of one of my missions. That's why I wanted to come back to Canada. And I I always say to my friends, I kind of trick my audiences. I will sandwich some more challenging repertoire in between more accessible stuff. Hmm. And I'll make it in context and I'll explain what's going on if it's in a foreign language to them so that they see, oh, it's just a good song. Yeah. It's not a classical art song or, or this or that. It's just good song. Yeah. And, and so I really do think it's just education. And, you know, because my brother, my brother has not a musical bone in his body and he's learned so much just kind of through osmosis by me. Um, and you know, if you do go to, say, Montreal, when I perform in Montreal, they have different priorities there. They have much more arts education and support. So 
I'll, I'll walk up on stage and no one will have heard who I am. Whereas here in Toronto, they'll sit back and go, okay, I read a review, impress me. <laughs> and whereas in Montreal, they're like, I don't know this person. I'm going to listen. I'm like, I, I really like what she's doing. I like this song. I'm going to get up and dance. I'm going to scream. I'm going to clap. I'm hmm. just going to express. I, they have more confidence in their own artistic tastes and they're not afraid to express them. Whereas I think here in Ontario, we're like, Ooh, should I like that? Should I not like it? Somebody tell me. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's just education. It's like wine, <laughs> right? You think wine is, it's just like, or art. You like what you like. There's no right or wrong, but you have to be exposed and you have to try things and you just have to take chances and open your mind and expose yourself to stuff. Yeah, I, I, couldn't have thought of a better answer to that. And I really appreciate your perspective. That's very helpful, especially in various areas of Canada. It seems like our focus on the arts has gone through quite a roller coaster, yeah, really perhaps is. impacted by political landscapes perhaps. as well, perhaps. Um, but I, I love the fact that even if it's something that isn't in a school curriculum, it's still something that you as a friend or you as a partner can help expose other people to Definitely. in a way that doesn't necessarily involve a really expensive ticket and oh. it being a, a whole production. You know, there's it's a, a great lot of thing ways. about Toronto. And you I mean, you can go and see live music any night of the week in any number of great venues for like 10 bucks at the door. Mm -hmm. it's, and it's awesome. It's always awesome. You know, you're always going to enjoy something about it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. A uh, couple last ones here. What makes being a Canadian artist really difficult? Okay. Wow. Well, it is a heavy small hitters here. country. <laughs> it's a small country yeah. in terms of people. Yep. And it's a large country in terms of distance. Hmm. So touring is expensive and uh, you don't have the numbers. You don't have the numbers of people here like you do to the South in the States. So you can tour in the States, every little city. And, and there are people, there are so many more people there. It's just that simple. So that's definitely, and, you know, as I just said in the question before, the lack of education, mm -hmm. And the lack of it being a priority, it's an uphill battle. Um, yeah, it is. It mm -hmm. is. Those are definitely factors. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's something that, like myself, I'm not a touring artist or I'm not an artist full time. So that's something I wouldn't have even considered. Huh, so the fact that, yes, Kenda, we seem like we're such a big country, but you're right. We don't have the population no. to be able to sell out every single show. No. Yeah. And especially if we're not necessarily aware or a little bit apathetic about certain pockets of the arts, yeah, then totally. yeah, think about that artist. <laughs> yeah. And, and as we were talking about Germany and, and Canada and, and, you know, there's a lot of people there. Yeah. It's a lot more, it's just, yeah. It's dense. Europe in general, you know, you can travel to France one day and then you're in Germany the next day and you know, this touring is good. <laughs> exactly. I can imagine. Oh my gosh. And the food. Yeah. Uh, last question here is what makes being a Canadian artist really amazing? Okay. Well, we do have support. There is support. There is support in um, Canadian content radio rules and things like that, mm. which is super important. Again, just for people to hear it and go, oh, that's a song. I like that song. Yep. You just wouldn't have heard it otherwise, you know, because the American market is so big and powerful and has so much money behind it. It's really important for us to foster and nurture our artists 
right. fostering and nurturing and, and, and seeing a long-term path for them is really important rather than saying, you need to have a hit and you need to have it right now. Mm-hmm. No. How about sometime in the next five years, you grow your audience slowly, make great relationships. And, you know, so there is some funding in place and there is some CanCon rules in place that help our country do that for our artists. And there are granting bodies um, that can help support recordings, help some, uh, help support creative endeavors, um, and help you, you know, create a project. So it's, I'm extremely, extremely grateful for those really like, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be working otherwise. Oh, well, here's hoping that those opportunities only continue to grow for Canadian artists. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's and so I mean, great. you know, the whole social media thing and YouTube, like it's, that's changed the game a lot yeah. for better and for worse. So mm. we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. yeah. The whole music industry is shifting drastically right now. So. Exactly. Yeah. Especially in the next 10 years or so. Yeah, It'll be absolutely. a real interesting story to see. Yeah. Well, let's move to our last official question. Okay. Question 10. Which is, what is a lesson you learned the hard way that you'd like to share with our listeners? Okay. Um, well, I would say in the beginning of my career, and still, I'm, I'm a very trusting person. So I got into some bad situations in terms of record deals, and I was very naive. So, you know, experience has taught me that I need to research more options and not just go, okay, that sounds good. Sure. (laughs) Which I did quite a lot and still do sometimes. And I think for the most part, it usually turns out well for me because I have good instincts and intuition, but not always. Um, and, but part of that is also just valuing myself and what I have to offer. And that's hard. Partly as a woman, we're just not taught to value our own opinions and our own talents and our skills in the same way. They're not, they're not listened to as much. Mm-hmm. They're not as welcomed into the world. Um, so we think, oh, we doubt ourselves, you know? So yeah, to value, value what you have to offer and um, consider all options. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, it does. It does. And that's something I've heard a couple of times from other artists oh, who were okay. starting out. They said, you know what? I Unfortunately, the word naive comes up a lot. Things, yes, yeah. you know, you're, you're eager for a break. You're eager for an opportunity. So, And you're not trained in that, but you're trained in, you're an absolute master in your field of musicianship, but you don't know about the world exactly. and the business world. Exactly. There needs uh, to be more education around that, actually. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And I think yeah. that's what's so beneficial to being able to share some of these experienced yeah. voices yeah. in this industry, yeah. especially yeah. to many of our listeners who might be just starting that particular journey. Yeah, good. So I hope it changes a couple of trajectories. <laughs> I hope so, too. Well, with that, Patricia, it was a pleasure to have a great conversation with you. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure to chat. Thanks for listening, everyone. Find us on Facebook at Legit Lady Podcast. That's L-E-G-I-T-L-A-D-Y Podcast. And on Instagram at Legit Lady Podcast. On Twitter at Legit Lady Pod. That's Legit Lady P-O-D. And please rate and comment on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you love what you hear, share it broadly and proudly. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.